everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the Canuck Way podcast. My name is David Quadrelli, and I'm a site expert at the Canuck Way. Joining me today is Sean Warren, a contributor at the site. Sean, how you doing today, man? I'm feeling good. I'm, I'm excited that, I mean, this is kind of episode 1B for us, uh, but I'm excited to get it off the ground and, and out for everybody to actually listen to this time. Uh, we did a couple trial runs uh, in the past couple weeks, just making sure all our sound is right. Um, but pretty excited to finally release a finished product for everybody. Yeah, for sure. Like you said, we were just talking about it. It's like, this is actually more like an episode 1B because of some pretty unforeseen circumstances that stopped us from getting our first episode, which we recorded last Sunday up on the day we wanted to. And then by the time it was all, all figured out and we were finally ready to post it, the Canucks had another game. So we decided to hold off, just record another first episode. So yeah, this is episode 1B. But yeah, just to give a little bit more information about the podcast, uh, this is something that's been in the works and kept quiet for quite some time now. Uh, we've recorded a couple trial episodes, as Sean said. We found some music that we like, and we're ready to add to the podcasts that are already in this market. It uh, should be a blast, and I'm just incredibly excited to take on this new medium to add to the coverage that our site already provides of this hockey team. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, you you kind of touched on most of it there. Like, it just gives the Canuck way another um, medium and to be able to showcase uh, the contributors that are on the site with us. And uh, I'm really excited to kind of showcase the talent that we have. We have a really... I consider them to be quite a star-studded lineup. Uh, some really great young up-and-coming writers on the site, uh, putting out lots of great content uh, for the last few months now. Uh, so it kind of gives us another way to be able to showcase um, each individual writing style and personality and, and their thoughts and takes, obviously, on the team that we all know and love. Yeah, exactly. And Alex, Alex Hogler, this is that I'm talking about. He's like been at the Canuck way a lot longer than I have. And yeah, he's like, this is by far the best team we've ever had. Like, I think he told me they've, they've never had like more than five contributors at a time. So really? yeah, we've definitely got a pretty good team now. I don't know our exact number of contributors. I think it's over 10 now. But yeah, mm-hmm. we've just kind of kind of been looking for everybody we can and just trying to let everybody have that platform. And yeah, it's been good so far. But yeah, Sean, let's jump right into this podcast here. Sure. The Canucks losing woes have continued. Like, what do you think is the problem here with uh, with all the losing that's been going on? It's it's tough, you know. Like, I think a lot of it comes down to bad bounces and and things like that too. But uh, there was a few different changes that uh, the Canucks have implemented. That a couple of them are kind of head scratchers to me. Uh, one I think of uh, in particular was when the power play for the Canucks was doing really well, and I mean power play one with Pedersen and Besser, they they switched sides so that they were both going downhill, and they've since reverted that change back to where they're both in one-time positions, and now they're struggling again, whereas they had a lot more options and, and movement when they were both going downhill, and it seemed to be really unpredictable and difficult to defend. Uh, I don't know why they would have changed that back, um, but you could tell that there's a lot of mounting frustration just kind of surrounding that power play unit alone uh, and their lack of success. Uh, I mean, you have you compare that with the second power play unit with Gaudet as kind of centering it, and it's night and day. Like there's way more movement, way more urgency. Um, really hard to defend because they crash the net really quick. 
uh, and attack the decrease. Um, I mean, Gaudet being rewarded with a pair of goals in last night's contest. Uh, well, this will be two days from now uh, when we drop the podcast against the Avalanche. But, um, I mean, that what a, what a stark difference just in that one change alone. Yeah, you kind of touched on it, is that they were on the off wings before, talking about Besser and Pedersen here, lining mm-hmm. up for their one-timers, and now that, or sorry, it was the other way around, and now they've moved back to that formation on the off wings, and it's just kind of strange to me. Um, I didn't really understand what people were talking about at first when they were like, oh no, they got to be on their, um, going with their downhill movement, but I was like, I don't mind them on the off wings, because they've both got pretty good shots, but I think last night saturday night was pretty evident of that not working out anymore and i think teams are scouting it and i yeah like you said when they had success they were going on their on their proper sides so i think yeah the canucks might have to change back to that but one thing i also want to get your opinion on is this line juggling we're seeing from head coach travis green i'm pretty indifferent to it i think that it's a good idea when your team's struggling but i feel like there's almost a sense of panic when travis green does it I noticed last or Saturday night, uh, Tim Schaller and Louis Erickson were on Bo Horvat's wings by the second period. And that was just strange to me. I don't want to, you know, call out a coach or try and come up with my own line combinations and like, this is how it should be. But it just seemed kind of curious to me that they had Louis Erickson and Tim Schaller on the wings of your captain. It just didn't make a lot of sense to me. Well, especially too, when you're looking for like stability on Bo Horvat's wings. You're trying to find him a permanent solution. I don't think anybody, including Travis Green, would think Tim Schaller or Louis Erickson are permanent solutions for Bo Horvat. So why not try to help him by giving him uh, somebody that could eventually build chemistry with him? It might not happen immediately, but guys like Jake Vertanen, Sven Berchi, even Josh Levo, guys like that, why, why not give them the opportunity to showcase what they can do with Bo Horvat? Um, I mean, we're, I don't think anybody's going to be, you know, writing home about Tim Schaller's production with Bo Horvat if he even got one, right? Uh, Louis Erickson hasn't produced really anything this season, so why would he get that opportunity? So it is a head-scratcher for sure. I mean, I think Canucks are still out looking for a top six solution uh, for for Bo Horvat, but at the same time, like with so many moving pieces in the lineup right now, even with the team not being healthy, I think there's plenty of solutions within that are better than that. Yeah, absolutely. You're you're totally right on that. And one thing I also want to get your opinion on is what do you think about the prospect of loading up the top line because i wrote about this in the summer and everybody came at me they were all like well you're, you're an idiot and i was talking about how with the versatility of jt miller who has the ability to play center i've entertained the thought of putting bo horvat as the first line center with elias Pettersson and brock besser on his wings now i understand that Pettersson and besser are one of the best one-two punches in the pacific division maybe even the western conference maybe even the whole league they're a good one-two punch at center. But I just think loading up that first line and having a guy like JT Miller, who has arguably been the Canucks' best player this season, it almost kind of makes sense. Yeah, that's an interesting thought. I haven't really put any thought into that idea. I know I really like the lotto line um, with JT Miller on the top. 
I, I find that JT Miller's more of a, a winger than a centerman, like a winger that's capable of faceoffs. Um, it's tough, you know, like maybe to get Bull Horvat some more offensive looks. It's something that they could do. Uh, I know right now with, with Sutter and Beagle out, uh, so much has been put on Bo Horvat uh, defensively that I think that would run him pretty ragged. Um, so it's, it's maybe when they're fully healthy, it would be an interesting look for sure. Yeah, they definitely couldn't do it right now. And even when they're healthy, I'm not even sure if that would be a something that they even want to try. Because, yeah, like you said, that lotto line has been so good. And we saw Travis Green reunite them on Saturday night. And uh, it was funny. I was at morning skate. And uh, I was kind of observing everything, and I was sitting with Thomas Drance inside the uh, inside the uh, media room, and uh, it was the morning skate questions, and Thomas asked Travis, he's like, based on your morning line rushes, um, we're going to see the lotto line reunited, and Travis looked kind of shocked, he's like, well, I, I didn't say I'm going to do that, and uh, <laughs> sure enough, that's exactly yeah. what he did, so Drance totally called that one, Um but yeah, it was it was cool to see them back together, especially in those uniforms. Holy cow, oh, if we're talking man. about cool. Oh my goodness. But anyways, having them back on that line was good. And I think in the third period especially, that line was really solid, especially with the net empty. To score two late goals like that, that's no easy task. No, and I mean, it was the quick movement, right? Like having... I know the Calvert goal is where he's down is definitely not one I, I want to draw attention to too much because yeah that we don't want to gloat about happened. that one. Um, but I know the the one where Besser gets it in the end. It was a really smart play by Pedersen just before that, where he just kind of floats it into the middle. He realized that they were taking away his shot option from him, and so just getting it into a high danger spot. And that's what that first power play unit really needs to focus on is just getting it to high danger spots, moving it around and testing different holes. And I mean, Colorado give Colorado a lot of credit. They played a really suffocating defensive style for the Canucks. Canucks like to move with speed and they were really effective in shutting that speed down and then combating it with their own speed. Um, but yeah, just having some movement through the zone um, will open up different holes in any defensive structure so I thought Pedersen was really smart kind of lobbing it into that back corner where Besser was just sitting there camping yeah absolutely and the person I'm actually writing about for this Botchford project which I'll touch on a little bit later on but uh, yeah the article that I'll be putting on Canucks.com is uh, one a deep dive on Quinn Hughes and I was talking to Chris Tanev and Bo Horvat after morning skate just wanted to get their thoughts on on what Hughes has brought to the table so far and why they think he's been so successful, all that sort of stuff. And I think it was really on display last night. His possession, his abilities to wheel the puck coast to coast and control the zone are just like second to none on the Canucks at least. It's just unbelievable how skilled this kid is and he found that pass. I know it was on the play Matt Calvert's down bleeding out of his helmet, but um, mm-hmm. he still found Alex Edler with a very crisp pass and it was like tape to tape through traffic. I know it's definitely easier when a guy is down on the ice and he's the main one trying to block your passing lane. It was just, it was just a testament to how good Hughes is. But of course, yeah, we're not going to gloat too much about the Matt Calvert goal. But like you were saying, great vision, right? Like that was a really great pass nonetheless. And, and 
what a treat to be able to watch Kale McCarr and, and Quinn Hughes go head-to-head. Two outstanding skaters that can lob the puck up. Great vision. I know like we're obviously a Canucks podcast, but the the pass to Kadri from Kale McCarr, like diagonal through the neutral zone, and then, uh, like you mentioned too, Quinn Hughes finding Alex Edler backdoor with his diagonal through the offensive zone pass. Like just unbelievable vision. Uh, fantastic footwork and skating ability um, like it's it's going to be really exciting the next few years to see uh, the avalanche canuck rivalry rebirth itself uh, with these uh, this caliber of player on each roster like it's going to be phenomenal yeah, no, I was actually talking to it, I think, with Kevin Woodley of uh, NHL.com and Canucks.com. I was just talking to him, and we were kind of discussing about how young defensemen are really finding success early on. Usually we're used to defensemen taking a little longer, and, you know, we've all made the excuse for all of you, Levy, that, oh, he's a defenseman, it's going to take some longer, yeah. take longer for him to develop. But the amount of young defensemen that we're seeing with this game-breaking ability at the ripe age of like 19 years old coming into the league and absolutely dominating is quite alarming and I think it's very cool to see and it's good for us as fans and everybody covering this team and everybody covering the NHL in general to see these young kids have success and have so much confidence I don't think we've seen that as much in the past no I mean you covered that really well I mean it's nice too because the Canucks have one of these guys right like it would be, I think, a lot less fun if we were just watching like Dalin and Heiskanen and uh, Makar and everybody tear it up. And meanwhile, we don't have a, a, toy, a toy of our own. But uh, Quinn Hughes has been every bit as good as those guys. And it's going to be really exciting to see him uh, develop and just kind of see where that development takes him. Because if he's he's going to obviously have a lot more levels to his game than, than this. And that's that's very exciting future prospects for for Canucks fans for sure and I think this intros us pretty well into our first segment to introduce to all of our listeners this is what we call the what you wrote segment so what Mm -hmm. I'm gonna do uh, I'm gonna probably have a new contributor on each week and we're just gonna talk about what they wrote recently and kind of get their thoughts on it, and kind of expand on the idea a little more. So, Sean, the last thing you wrote for the site, I believe, was The Dilemma with Jacob Markstrom. Why don't you just tell everyone about that? Yeah, so, I mean, it's kind of, it was brought to light kind of right around the time when I wrote it, and it's kind of fallen off the, the radar for a little bit now, but there is a dilemma coming up with, with Jacob Markstrom, being that he is uh, a free agent at the end of the year, and then in one year's time after that, the Seattle expansion takes place. And with Demko playing really strong and proving each and every game that he deserves more and more games, uh, I mean, we don't really know what kind of workload Demko is capable of carrying yet. Of course, it's it's early for that. But early signs say quite a, a lot, more than we were anticipating at the start of the year. Uh, it, kind of early season projections were maybe 15 to 20 games this year, and now they're more 30 to 40, um, <clears throat> which is which is great for Canucks fans uh, and the Canucks as an organization because this means that their decision might be made for them. Uh, it just is a matter of what do you do with Jacob Markstrom? Uh, do you sign him? Because if you are going to go 
uh, in the extension route. Uh, he's going to want term. He's going to want money. Like this is kind of his last real shot at hitting it big, right? Uh, he is in his early 30s. Goalies generally don't uh, have the Luongo longevity or Henrik Lundqvist longevity to them. And I, Markstrom's just kind of coming into his own now. So how much longer will he play at this caliber? That's kind of unknown too. So uh, the other thing is like if you do keep him and you want to reduce those things, the term and the cap, you're potentially putting yourself in a position where he'll want a no-move clause, and that's going to cause um, a situation when the Seattle expansion happens. You could lose your goalie of the future in Demko, who's already at his age now, as good as Markstrom is now. So, I mean, that's six years of progression already done with Demko that you had to wait a long time for with Markstrom. So it is a bit of a dilemma, and it'll be interesting going forward to see um, just how they decide on uh, resolving that situation. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe we see something (coughs) similar to, to what Columbus did last year with Sergei Bobrovsky. They kept him for their playoff push. They knew there was a very, very small chance that he was going to re-sign, but they wanted their goalie for their playoff run. And sure enough, they swept Tampa Bay in the first round. Now, they would have liked to have gone further, I'm sure, with Bobrovsky. But I just think that we might end up seeing a similar situation in Vancouver. And I'm already, I can already picture all the outrage if... Uh, the Canucks let Jacob Markstrom walk and don't trade him at the deadline, don't uh, re-sign him or anything. But you know what? Mm-hmm. If this team's in the playoff hunt, it might just be something they have to do. Uh, with that being said, not too sure if Mikey DiPietro is ready to be an NHL backup. So maybe we mm-hmm. see another free agent signing. Who knows? But yeah, you're right. It's something we'll have to monitor and something we'll definitely be looking out for. Well, and that's something that they could do too that, that I touch on in the article is kind of using him as an own rental. And... Um, I mean, the playoff push this season is very publicly important for them this season. They want to make the playoffs very badly. Um, and obviously their playoff chances are a lot higher with Jacob Markstrom in the lineup as well and having that ta- that tandem, uh, being that it is one of the best tandems in the league right now. Um, but that would be ultimately the question is, do you want to get some kind of asset back? Uh, especially in a year where you're, You've traded a high draft pick away. Maybe you can recover um, maybe a second. Maybe it's not a first, right? But you can probably garner a good uh, good return back, even though he's a goaltender from a team that's trying to make a push. I mean, we haven't really seen a goalie of Markstrom's caliber uh, traded at the deadline since Ryan Miller, and he, he netted quite a bit. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, usually goaltenders of his caliber aren't available, so uh, kind of trying to project it based off what goaltenders get traded for mid-season is is kind of a non-starter as far as I'm concerned because they're not apples-to-apples comparisons at all. Yeah, for sure. It's going to be interesting to see what they do, that's, that's for sure. Um, one thing I did want to touch on, just, you know, Thought I should probably slip it in was the Botchford Project. I know Absolutely. a lot of people have seen on Twitter already. But yeah, so the Botchford Project was an initiative put on by Canucks PR and Cap Botchford, uh, honoring the legacy of Jason Botchford, um, the athletic writer who passed away. Everybody knows who he is. But uh, yeah, it was a it was an honor to get selected for that. I went to Morning Skate, was at the game, got to take it all in. 
um had a great meal i i didn't know everybody <laughs> got free meals up there but holy smokes yeah it was it was really good a uh, really great experience but yeah um don't want to talk too too much about that but let's definitely talk about quinn hughes we've already talked about him a lot but holy smokes does he look great and does he ever look confident and the thing i noticed i was kind of talking to jeff patterson about this was jpat brought up that his point production has gone down since his first 10 games and you know we saw that with Pedersen. You see that with rookies. Mm-hmm. But I think something that people haven't really noticed in that time is that Quinn Hughes' defensive abilities have almost improved. And Travis Green trusts this young defender. And I was talking to Chris Tanev yesterday for my story. And he says not enough people give credit. Or sorry, uh, people don't give enough credit to Quinn Hughes for his defensive abilities. A lot of people think he's a pretty one-dimensional defense, one-dimensional defenseman. But... Tanev says otherwise. Tanev says that his partner is a good defender and he's really good at the defensive side of the game. And you can definitely see that. But for Tanev to point out that he thinks that people don't talk about it enough and that it's it's an underrated part of Hughes' game is really, really like crazy to see for a young defenseman because we kind of kind of assumed, you know, he'll put up the points, he'll skate around, he'll look great. But you know, there's gonna be some there's gonna be a learning curve. He's a young defenseman coming in at such a young age. It, there's going to be a learning curve and there's going to be mistakes made along the way. Now, there definitely has been, but it hasn't been as bad as I thought it was going to be. Well, and that's the crazy thing too, because kind of going back to talking about how all these, the slew of young defensemen coming up and their game-breaking ability. Before, it seemed that sometimes these defensemen would come up and they would have really prolific offensive abilities, but then they would be complete and total liabilities defensively or vice versa, right? They would be one-dimensional, and they'd be trying to learn the other side of the game. Uh, These guys are coming up, and they are well-rounded defensemen. And it is crazy that these these kids are coming up at 18, 19 years old and having an impact on both sides of the ice. Uh, Quinn Hughes has earned every little bit of respect and trust from Coach Green on the defensive side of the ice as much as the offensive side of the ice. And it's cool kind of hearing uh, what you're saying about what Tanev thinks of it because Tanev has been such a bedrock defensively for the Canucks. And being his partner, like you'd be able to know how much is kind of him and his positioning and how much is, is just Quinn Hughes being Quinn Hughes on both sides of the ice. And, uh, it seems like, you know, early on in this, before the season started, I wasn't so sure about that pairing. I thought that uh, Tanev might hold uh, Hughes back offensively a little bit because he's such a defensive player. But it seems that both styles of play have kind of rubbed off on each other. Tanev has become a little bit more offensive and offensive-minded, and Hughes is uh, just steady defensively, which is nice. Yeah, it's been a treat to watch the pair. That's for certain. Um, Sean, I think we should introduce our next segment, and that mm-hmm. is the Can You Believe It segment. Do you want to lead off with your Can You Believe It statement? Oh, man. Well, I think the first thing it has to be the flying skate. The flying skate is phenomenal. There's so much support behind it. Uh, fans love the flying skate. Uh, I mean, led, of course, by Wyatt Arndt, <laughs> the stanchion, who's a giant advocate for the flying skate making its return. It is crazy to me that this isn't used more. I know it's a different colorway. 
all of that, but it's such a unique colorway that is unique to Vancouver. Uh, green and blue have been kind of used in other places, most notably Seattle, which is getting an NHL team soon. Uh, and it's going to be kind of interesting to see like why, you know, going forward, how much they use the flying skate, if they decide to use it a little bit more. It is backed by popular demand. So, I mean, Kevin BX had touched on it a little bit during the broadcast uh, last night, saying that uh, he's really jealous of, of this team for being able to wear them because hit that team at that time pushed hard for years to wear that jersey. And, I mean, style-wise, style it is probably the best jersey the Canucks have ever had. It's just beautiful. And Bo Horvat touched on it too, that because they're the dark colors, the, the really intimidating tones in it, they they feel big and mean in them. Why wouldn't you want your team to feel big and mean in those jerseys? I would be like, there's a couple, there's a GIF in particular after Brock Besser scored to tie the game up and he's skating back to the bench and everybody's skating behind him. And it's like that is one cool, cool take on that camera. There's everybody coming straight towards the camera. It, I don't even know. Words can't describe it. If you haven't seen it, you've got to go see that. How could you not want to see that more times in a season? Yeah, that's beautiful for sure. But I'm going to throw you here. I'm going to throw it off a bit. My can yeah. you believe it statement has just changed. Can you believe it? Sean calls it a GIF and not a GIF. <laughs> It's Sean, true. I hate to be the one to tell you, man, but it is GIF. It is not GIF. GIF is a peanut butter. It just GIF. feels so unnatural. No, man, it's a GIF. You gotta, you gotta get on the GIF train. That's it for sure. It's, it's All not right. GIF. Trust me. I'm converted. You got me. I'll All right, to perfect. The GIF team. Perfect. I'm glad it was that easy. <laughs> uh, our next topic here: just Bo Horvat and Alex Edler. The ice time that these guys are logging, man, is unbelievable. And now, Brandon Sutter, Jay Beagle are hurt. That's that's a big hit on this team. And Travis Green's arsenal of putting out people to shut down the other team's top lines. Bo Horvat has been given the brunt of all of this. Man, I know. Like, that's... To me, it's just kind of asking for an injury, really. Like... You have Sutter and Beagle out. Obviously, faceoffs are important, and that's your second and third best or higher faceoff uh, centerman. But man, like that's a that's a lot of ice time to log if you're Bohorvat. Alex Edler too. I mean, that's a pr relatively healthy defense core. Like, I don't see why Edler needs to be playing as much as he is. Um, obviously versatile defenseman, but there's there's other guys on this team that can kind of spread that load. I mean, Stetcher is pretty like notoriously underutilized on this team right now. So there's I just don't get it. I just like Bo Horvat, I understand with the injuries. Alex Adler I I simply don't understand. Like he's he's good, but why? <laughs> he's not like game breaking good. He's not need him out there in all situations good. Maybe at this point in his career, he can be kind of utilized. I don't want to say smarter, but like, sure, smarter, where you kind of pick your spots with him and then let the, the rest of the decor, how, give some trust to those guys. Let them fill out the rest and then 
I think you'll have a fresher Alex Edler who's a lot more dangerous in all the situations that you play him in. Yeah, no, I agree with you. But speaking of Troy Stetcher, I think a guy who should definitely be out there in those situations and who has proved he can play in almost situation for this team is Jordy Ben. And I think he's a pretty under underrated defenseman for the Canucks and not just underrated for his on ice abilities, but like the versatility that he brings to the team. I'm actually working on a piece right now. It's probably going to go to go for Canucks army, but uh, just the versatility that he brings. I think it's so underrated that the Canucks can really call up any player they choose. Should a defenseman go down because Jordy Ben, again, he told me in September himself that he is, absolutely fine with playing on both sides and I've even seen people out east saying that he's even better on the right side and he's only played the left side for the Canucks so having that versatility on your third pairing defenseman really is just just so underrated to have well and so steady and calm like uh, I've been kind of watching to to see any of the mistakes that uh, friends that are fans of teams out east and watch a lot of their games were talking about uh, where he will kind of go and chase a hit into the corner and put himself out of position. I think I've seen that maybe once as a Canuck. Other than that, like, really just stay at home, steady, crisp passes. Like, he's been a really good partner, I found, with, with Troy Stetcher. Like, he enables Stetcher to be more mobile, and that enhances his best of attribute on the blue line. Yeah, absolutely, man. It's yeah, I've been really liking what I've seen from the defense so far, and yeah, especially that third pairing. I've I've really liked it, and I'm a big fan of Jordy Ben. I think he's uh, he was a great addition to this team, and props to Jim Benning for going out to get him on a pretty favorable deal too. Two by two, I'll take that any day of the week. <laughs> Montreal's missing him on their penalty kill, that's for sure. I think yeah. Montreal's 27th at the time of this recording in the penalty kill department. Anyways, I know they're in the in the basement of the league, but uh, yeah, they're definitely missing him over there, and yeah, he's played that role for the Canucks really well. Well, and if you compare him to to who he replaced ultimately, being Ben Hutton, like how much more serviceable has Jordy Ben been so far than Ben Hutton would have been in the same role? Quite a bit. Like it's pretty significant. Uh, not, no knocks on Ben Hutton. He's playing pretty well considering on a really bad LA team right now but Jordy Ben has brought the elements that the Canucks needed on their decor and I'm I'm actually a little bit surprised that I'm saying that right now yeah that's I don't know if that tells you that the Kings decor isn't that great or what it tells you if Ben Hutton's just playing great but regardless um yeah it's been good to see Jordy Ben in that role instead of Hutton and Tyler Myers in his role instead of Good Branson and yeah just the replacements are definitely definitely a step up from what we've been seeing for the past 4 or 5 years here well and what a beard on Jordy Ben like that that's a a plus beard that yeah that's like super underrated and he's like the nicest guy ever so yeah he looks intimidating but he's a super nice guy (laughs) yeah (laughs) can never have enough of those no exactly (laughs) well i think that just about wraps it up for our very first episode sean do you have anything you'd like to add before i close it out here um not really i mean obviously everybody in the league is hoping uh, the best for Matt Calvert. Uh, pretty scary situation there. Um, you never want to see a player go down like that. And then it was horrifying for 
Canucks fans, Avs fans, any fans alike to, to watch play continue as long as it did while he was in uh, obvious distress for the entirety of that rest of the play uh, and needing medical assistance right away. I'm glad that nothing else happened where he was perhaps hit again um, and hopefully he'll have a speedy recovery and he's okay. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, that play in particular, we're not going to close it out just yet. But yeah, that play was like, Pedersen just ripped it off his head. And Pedersen immediately was looking like he wanted the play to stop. He forgot in that moment that his team had possession, they're buzzing, they need a goal. He was like, looking at this guy. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, like he was, I think Pedersen was a little confused about why the whistle didn't go. And I know it's, the rule is, you get possession or it's up to the ref to make the decision if the player's injury is serious enough. And I think that's a really tough position for any referee to be in. Cause you don't mm-hmm. want to be the one ref out of four that makes that call and says, yeah, like, yeah, we got to blow the play down. And then the other three don't agree with you. You just don't want to put yourself in that position. But then again, you don't want to see what happened last night start to become a trend in the national hockey league. Nobody wants to see that. And yeah, you could just tell Nathan McKinnon, I was almost certain that he was going to launch that stick into like section 320 in the upper bowl. It was just like, he was irate after that play. Well, and he had every right to be, but I think you touched on it. What a, what a horrible position to put your refs in. I mean, everybody's mad at them for, for not blowing play dead, but what a, what a horrible position to be put in to make that call. Cause on one hand, you call the play down and you potentially uh, lose the game for the Canucks right there, right? Because they would not have tied the game, Potent- probably, right? I mean, making pretty big assumptions here. But um, And the other hand, you know, the other team scores with the player down on the ice like, and he risks his health in, in doing so. What a and you you never know like you know in the in the heat of the action just how bad something is. Obviously, Pedersen had a pretty good idea of how bad it was with trying to call him over. But when you're say you're the guy in the corner and you're looking over and you see him down, maybe he, you know, maybe it's a cut on the face. Maybe it's not as bad. Bleeding out the side of the head, pretty serious, obviously. And if the NHL as a league is is uh, serious about making headshots or head injuries a priority and a major concern for them, they've got to change that rule a little bit, take the heat off the refs, and uh, just make it black and white if there's contact to the head or a serious in- enough injury, then play is blown dead. Like You just got to make it easier for those guys out there, I think. Yeah, I think that the league's definitely going to be looking at that and, you know, looking at their rules, see if they need to make any changes. And I think that's what's best for everybody is if they do that. But Sean, I got to ask you, man, six or 12 points up for grabs on this six game road trip that the Canucks are about to embark on. How many points do you think they come away with out of these 12 that are available? Uh, Man, like to me, they got to they got to at least hit 500 on this road trip or else their their entire season is a little bit at jeopardy right like this is a really big uh road trip for them uh i i'll be optimistic i'll say that they they net that at least the the 500 
The team's playing good. I think they need a few tweaks in the lineup. And they just need a couple guys to get going, right? Like, they just need some bounces to go their way. Um, guys like Pedersen and, and Besser, like, they'll they'll produce. You need a few other guys to jump in and provide that secondary scoring. Godet's fired up. Um, if the blue line can contribute again like they were early in, in the season, that'll give a huge jump to this lineup. And with the D being as healthy as they are right now and the forwards not, I think the forward group could use as much help from the D as they can right now. Yeah, for sure. For my prediction, I'll say they're going to get two wins and an overtime loss. So a total of five points on this road trip. And then I think they're going to return home and have a great month of December. That's what I'm hoping for, but we'll have to wait and see. Thank you all for tuning in to the first episode. Again, you can catch a new episode at the same time weekly. 8 a.m. Monday mornings, and then, yeah, be sure to check out thecanuckway.com. For Sean Warren, I'm David Quadrelli, signing off.